everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the INT Podcast. We do have a name now. Uh, we're called the INT Podcast as an interception in football. Uh, it's the most creative name we could come up with that wasn't already taken. So that will be the name of the podcast from here on out. And here we are in the official episode one. Uh, just got a couple things to go over before we get into stuff. We do have an Instagram page now. At DC underscore the INT. Again, that is DC underscore the INT on Instagram. So please go drop us a follow if you like anything or everything that you've heard so far. It'll really mean a lot to us. And spread the word about us because we really want to get big, but big things always start out small. There's plenty of people at ESPN and Fox Sports and CBS Sports, who started like we are here in my house and ended up making it huge. So we'd really appreciate it if you guys could help us out and spread the word about us. It'd mean a lot to us. Um, Moving on, I've got a big three things to talk about for the day. So we'll start out with the Philadelphia 76ers hiring Doc Rivers earlier today. Uh, they fired Brett Brown a couple weeks ago, and the rumors went around that they were looking at hiring Mike D'Antoni, who I personally do not think deserves that coaching job in Philadelphia. I think that he has turned Houston into a train wreck. I think that there is so much more to be done with James Harden and Russell Westbrook. I think that team has been demolished. I don't think they have a chance at winning an NBA title now, because they've lost every ounce of height that they had. Their lineup is one of the smallest, if not the smallest, in the entire NBA. By trading Clint Capella to Atlanta, you lost a 7-foot center and were forced to start a 6-foot-7 center. Going against most teams, that's about a 5-inch height differential. That's ridiculous, and you just cannot handle that. Mike D'Antoni did an awful job coordinating with the Rockets management in making that trade. So I do not think he was the right fit in Philadelphia, especially with the players that they have. I think Doc Rivers is a fantastic fit in Philadelphia. You saw what he could do in L.A. when they had the big three of Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan in the early 2010s, Lob City as they were referred to. Uh, He was the cornerstone. He was the final piece that was left in L.A. He's finally gone, and I think he will do a great job in Philadelphia. Hopefully they can make a deeper run in the near future because there's a lot of talent going to waste in Philadelphia right now, and I would hate to see them go out in the first or second round again. So moving on to the Steelers and the Titans being postponed this week. Uh, The Tennessee Titans currently going through... An outbreak of COVID up there in Nashville. Um, Not really too much to talk about there, except for it really is kind of concerning. Are teams really taking this whole coronavirus situation seriously? Because we know the league obviously is. They shut down an entire training facility, two entire training facilities as a matter of fact. The Vikings were out of their training facility until this afternoon as a result of playing against the Titans this past Sunday, they're taking it very seriously. That is the NFL. But I'm not so sure that teams are really taking it quite as seriously as they need to. 
A.J. Terrell of the Atlanta Falcons was the first player in the entire league to test positive since the beginning of week one. And that was concerning, that he was the first player to test positive and to have to sit out a game. But the league handled it properly, the Falcons handled it properly, and they sat him out, they tested the rest of the players, everybody else came back negative. So that was well handled on the part of the Falcons, the Bears, and the NFL. The NFL has handled this very well, in my opinion. But I'm not so sure that teams are really as concerned as the league is. And I think that it could be potentially catastrophic down the stretch. Um, Moving on to the next topic, we have the MLB postseason, which I, in my personal opinion, has been very exciting so far. I really, really do like the wild card series concept. It adds a lot more intensity. It adds a lot more excitement into the first round of the playoffs. Whereas we're so used to the traditional one game play into the NLDS, it's obviously very intense because you have one game, win or lose, win or go home. But now you have this you have this battle and in that first game, it's it feels the same because you feel like if you don't get that first game, you're already gone because your back is to the wall if you lose one game, which is insane to think about, that in a three-game series, you could be going home after two games. But it's just the harsh reality of a three-game series in any sport, as a matter of fact. But take, for example, the Braves and Reds game just yesterday. 13 innings of scoreless baseball. That's the most nerve-wracking thing ever, especially for a team with an offense as high caliber as Atlanta's. The storyline coming in was Cincinnati pitching versus Atlanta hitting. And it turned out that that storyline was very accurate because the Cincinnati pitching was extraordinary. And they shut down the Braves' offense almost entirely for 13 innings. However, the Braves' pitching showed up when nobody expected them to. It was phenomenal to see. But it just added to the excitement. It was just a pitcher's battle. 0-0, scoreless baseball for 13 innings. As a baseball fan and as a sports fan, I appreciate it. But it doesn't stop my nerves from being racked the entire game. It was, it's so exciting. It's so fun to watch. I really enjoyed watching baseball these past few days just because of the excitement and how, enter- how entertained I was by it and just how into it I got. It, I really feel like this new format is going to stay in terms of a wild card series. But if the wild card series stays, that means that more than likely we're going to see eight teams stay in the playoffs. I don't necessarily like that idea. I think it takes away from some of the wild card series concepts, like the Dodgers and the Brewers. The Dodgers can't come in as the one seed with the hottest record in baseball, playing against the eight seed Milwaukee Brewers, who in a regular season in a traditional season, would not have made the playoffs, just like the Reds. And as a result, the Dodgers pretty much have a cakewalk into the NLDS. 
So in that in that situation, two games is more than enough. You only need one game because there is a clear favorite in that series. Now, if the Brewers are to pull something off and pull off a crazy upset, which is highly unlikely against the hottest team in baseball, it makes for an even better storyline. It makes for a Cinderella story. But the likelihood of that happening in baseball, where storylines go for a whole season, is just so unlikely. And I do not like eight teams in the postseason, but I really, really do like the idea of a wild card series. So those are my big three things for today that I really wanted to talk about. Um, not too much. There's really not that much happening in sports right now. Obviously, you've got the NBA Finals. You've got NFL going on. You've got the MLB playoffs. You've got a little bit of MLS, but MLS hasn't been too exciting this season. Don't really want to talk too much about that. So that being said, I'm going to move into some fantasy football. Just some opinions on my fantasy do's and don'ts for this week specifically. Uh, just some waiver wire pickups, some trade ideas for you guys if you're looking at improving your fantasy teams. So on my list of do's, my number one is Mike Davis. Mike Davis is the running back for Carolina. He did a very good job filling in for Christian McCaffrey last week. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater did play very well. I think that Carolina has really, really decided to rely on their passing game rather than their running game. But as a result, it does open up some opportunities for Mike Davis to break off some huge runs. And as a result, he did have over 20 points last week. It's not Christian McCaffrey numbers, but Mike Davis is a solid RB2, fringe RB1 option until Christian McCaffrey gets back in a few weeks. Uh, going along with Mike Davis, I also have Curtis Samuel, who can line up at running back or wide receiver. Carolina likes to use the Wildcat with Curtis Samuel, just like he did at Ohio State. Um, he's, he's small, he's fast, he's got everything you want in the Wildcat concept. And I do think with Christian McCaffrey out for Carolina that Curtis Samuel will see a larger workload. Not only is he the number two option at running back, he's also the number three option at receiver in Carolina behind DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. So watch him to streak down the field, catch a couple of really nice passes. I wouldn't start him as a wide receiver but I think Curtis Samuel is a solid flex option until Christian McCaffrey comes back. So, again, Mike Davis and Curtis Samuel are very, in my opinion, reliable options until Christian McCaffrey gets back because they're both going to be picking up a pretty large workload. Uh, number three, I have San Francisco's running back Jeff Wilson. With Raheem Mostert going down with his knee injury and... Jarek McKinnon going down last week. The 49ers are really thin at running back. They were already down Tevin Coleman. They lost Raheem Mostert for a while, and now they're down Jarek McKinnon, which leaves Jeff Wilson, who I didn't know existed. I didn't know this guy existed at all, but if Raheem Mostert is out on Sunday, this is a great pickup. The 49ers rely heavily on their run game. George Kittle has been specifically a blocker. So is Jordan Reed, but Jordan Reed's out for the season now. Um, Nick Mullen, he had a good week passing last week, but I just don't think the 49ers can rely on that week in, week out. I say that Jeff Wilson is a great pickup. He found the end zone twice last week, 
with a limited number of carries. Find this guy, start him as an RB2 or a flex option. Uh, number four, I have Marquez Valdez-Scanting, or Scantling, excuse me, for the Green Bay Packers. He was the number three option at wide receiver coming into the year for Aaron Rodgers and company. Um, with the injury to Devontae Adams last week, he stepped up to number two, and Alan Lazard was number one. Well, Alan Lazard, y'all saw what happened last week. He went off. He was a monster last week against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, I personally took Valdez Scantling over Alan Lazard and regretted it heavily. But Alan Lazard is also injured. He had core muscle surgery this week, and he will be out for an extended period of time, which means that Marquez Valdez Scantling will remain the number two option in Green Bay behind Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams is still questionable for Sunday, meaning if Devontae Adams is still out, which I doubt will happen, Marquez Valdez-Scantling will be the number one in Green Bay. He will be a good option to start at wide receiver or flex, so keep him in mind also. And my number five option, Josh Kelly of the San Diego Chargers. Uh, a lot of people had Austin Eckler being the number one guy in San Diego, or excuse me, L.A., as did I. I really liked Austin Eckler. I had him last year in fantasy. I thought he was a great running back. He stole Melvin Gordon's starting spot. Melvin Gordon held out, if you guys remember, for the vast majority of the beginning of the year, and it gave Austin Eckler a chance to prove himself, and he took over that starting job. That's not necessarily the case here because Austin Eckler is still committed to the team. He doesn't. He's not owed any money yet because he's still so young. But Josh Kelly has really stepped in as a rookie and taken over a really, really valuable role in the Chargers offense. He's been a pretty reliable option as a flex RB2 running back in the first two weeks, first three weeks, excuse me. Um, I do think that he is a great pickup in fantasy football this week. Now my don'ts list for this week, can't. it's a bit controversial, obviously, as my dues are, but I'm going to start the list off with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is, without a doubt, the leader in Cincinnati. He came in, he showed Cincinnati that their culture is awful. He, he's come out, he's dropped hints about it for the past four weeks, and uh, he doesn't like to lose. We saw that in LSU, in Baton Rouge last year. This kid does not like to lose. He's not a sore loser, but he wants to win. And Cincinnati Bengals history says they, they don't win. They find ways to lose, and they find ways to do dumb things, make dumb moves, trade away players and dumb trades, whatever. They're the Cincinnati Bengals. And Joe Burrow is there to change that. However, this year, just it's not the year for him to do that. Uh, their offensive line is not good. Joe Burrow takes a hit. One out of every three plays, he takes a nasty hit. I don't know how he gets up the way he does. This kid is built tough, but I just don't think that this is his year. He puts up yards because Joe Mixon can't at running back, but he doesn't put up the touchdowns because the offensive line is bad. Everybody's red zone defense is pretty good for the most part. And I just don't think that he's going to have any more success this Sunday. 
So sit Joe Burrow if you have him. Don't pick him up if you don't have him. Just my opinion. Uh, my second option is any New Orleans wide receiver. With Michael Thomas out, New Orleans does not have a reliable option at wide receiver. People can argue that Emmanuel Sanders is reliable, but Drew Brees does not like Emmanuel Sanders the way he likes Michael Thomas. And it's been shown very, very vividly in the past two weeks as Drew Brees' the majority of his passes have gone to Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara, I think, averages about 35 points a game right now in fantasy. Um, he, he looked okay in week one, and I actually traded him away because I didn't like the way he looked in week one. But man, do I regret it now because he has looked fantastic the past two weeks with Michael Thomas out, and he's taking the majority of the workload for New Orleans. He has put that team on his back, Alvin Kamara has. He, res- he catches the ball. He runs the ball. He creates everything for that New Orleans offense, and it really takes away from those New Orleans wide receivers. I would stay away from them even if they are playing a very weak secondary, in my opinion, in Detroit. Uh, they have Okuda, and they have Desmond Trufant, a former Falcon, in their secondary, but it's not going to be enough. Or, Yeah, it's it's that won't be enough to warrant picking up a New Orleans wide receiver. Excuse me. I couldn't think of the way to word that there. Um, my third option in the don't category is Devontae Freeman. Now, Falcons fans, this kind of speaks for itself. He had a lot of weak, or his past two seasons in Atlanta were very weak. He didn't look good. You can blame it on the offensive line, but a running back who goes off for two straight 1,000-yard seasons should be able to create for himself. There's no reason that losing your offensive coordinator should warrant such a drastic loss in production. And obviously he had his injury too, which is even further of a reason not to pick him up. Stay away from Devontae Freeman. Stay away from any New York Giant for that matter. Uh, Number four is Rex Burkhead of the New England Patriots. I think this one's pretty obvious. You can't trust a New England running back. Never have, never will. Uh, Cam Newton will do the majority of the running for New England. He'll do the majority of the passing as well. Um, New England relies heavily on Cam Newton in that offense. Bill Belichick has adapted very well to transitioning from Tom Brady as a pocket passer to Cam Newton as an improviser, a Russell Wilson type of quarterback. And um, so is Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels deserves more credit than anybody in the NFL for the way Cam Newton is playing right now. He has revitalized Cam Newton's career, and I think that at the end of this season, somebody will hire him to be the head coach. Who knows? Maybe it'll be the Falcons. We can only hope. But, um, yeah, don't trust Rex Burkhead at running back, regardless of what he did last week, regardless of who they're playing this week. I do not like Rex Burkhead to start at running back in your fantasy lineup. And number five for me is John Brown. He didn't put up any numbers for me last week, and obviously he was injured. You can't blame him for that. But John Brown is very much a boom or bust player. They have Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley there to do the majority of the production. John Brown is very much a wildcat street kind of guy. He's hit or miss, and I really don't like him this week. Um, stay away from John Brown. Uh, moving on to some of my NFL overreactions, just overreacting based on what I've seen over the first three weeks. Um, 
Tampa Bay winning the NFC South. I think it's very possible at this point because even though Tom Brady does not look like himself in Tampa Bay's offense, neither does Drew Brees. Drew Brees does not look good. Carolina is depleted. They're injury-prone. Almost all of their players are. And with McCaffrey out, McCaffrey's very durable. But with him out, I just don't see them making any kind of comeback in the division. The Falcons are hit or miss everywhere around. It's really disappointing to see. I would argue that the Falcons have the most talented roster in the NFC South, but they're not doing anything with it because of their coaching staff. So unless the Falcons fire their coaching staff and hire somebody, that you don't even have to fire Dan Quinn. You can hire somebody for your OC and your DC, and that'll make everything so much nicer. But unless they do that, I don't think the Falcons make a comeback in the division either. I think Tampa Bay, with the current best record in the division at 2-1, and one, I think they win the division this year regardless of their division record. Um, the AFC wild card running is very interesting right now, in my opinion. Uh, let's pull it up here. So your current standings, you have the Bills, Chiefs, Steelers, and Titans leading their divisions, all of them at 3-0. and Um... So your wild card teams right now would be either the Patriots, Raiders, Ravens, Browns, or Colts. Now, of those five teams in the running for the wild card spots, there's three this year. Keep that in mind, which opens up this race a lot wider. Of those five teams, I do like the Patriots to sneak into the playoffs this year. I think the AFC East, the, it's very top-heavy. The Bills are very good. They've proven that through three weeks. Josh Allen is playing magnificently. Uh, the Dolphins, the Dolphins are on the edge. They're obviously not ready to be a contender this year. The Patriots can take two from them, and the Jets are the Jets. Enough said. Moving on. So I do like the Patriots to take a, one of the wild card spots. Moving down to the Raiders, I haven't seen enough from the Raiders to really warrant give awarding them a playoff spot to this point. I really don't think that this is their year. I think they need one more year and a little bit of work on defense to really get there. And I do think they need a couple of reliable options at wide receiver. So I think of those five teams, the Raiders will be one of the two that don't make it. And I, I really don't even think they'll finish where they are in the division. I think the Chargers will come around with Justin Herbert and end up finishing above the Raiders. Uh, moving down to the AFC North, I think the Ravens will end up taking the division. So they'll be in. But the Steelers will most certainly take a wild card spot with their fantastic defense and Ben Roethlisberger's revitalization at quarterback and then the Browns uh, I think the Browns have a tough schedule down the stretch playing the Ravens and Steelers twice I don't think they find a wild card spot I think they finish the season seven and nine again and depending on how Baker Mayfield plays he's looked pretty good the past two weeks um, they might move on from Baker at quarterback that's that's an early overreaction we'll see how he does the rest of the year hopefully he proves me wrong because I think Baker Mayfield has a lot of potential in the NFL but we'll see how things go up there in Cleveland 
And then the Indianapolis Colts. This is the most surprising team by far to me this year. I'm very impressed with the way they're playing. Jonathan Taylor has stepped into the starting running back role, and he has done extraordinarily well. He's doing enough to keep the Indianapolis Colts in games, and their defense has allowed less points than anybody in the entire AFC, and it is not even close at all. The closest team to them is Pittsburgh, and they've allowed two more touchdowns than them. The Colts' defense is real. They are legit. And I think that no matter how poorly the offense plays, which they played very poorly in Week 1 against Jacksonville, I think their defense is going to keep them in games. And I think that the Colts deserve a wild card spot. That being said, that would leave your playoff picture over in Week 3, according to my overreactions, being the Bills, the Chiefs, the Ravens, and the Titans as your division champions. And your three wild card matchups will be the Patriots, the Ravens, and the Colts will be your three wild cards. I do think the Chiefs will take the one seed very easily in a weak AFC. The Ravens don't quite look like themselves. The Chiefs are the kryptonite, and I like the Chiefs to win out in the AFC. Uh, moving on to... Arguably the most surprising division in football right now, the NFC North. I knew the Vikings weren't going to be as good this year as they were last year. But man, their defense is very bad. Very, very bad. They've allowed the second most points in the NFL. Second to, guess who, the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, 102 points given up by the Vikings to 108 points given up by the Falcons. And of course, if you're giving up that many points a game, you're going to be 0-3. I didn't think the injury to the deal Hunter and the loss of Xavier Rhodes would hurt them quite this bad, but it really has. And their offense seems to be anemic without Stefan Diggs. Justin Jefferson showed flashes last week, and I do think that they'll start to come on. I think Adam Thielen will light it up. I think Justin Jefferson will really start to kick it into gear as the second option in Minnesota. And hopefully Kirk Cousins can start throwing the ball a little more accurately. I think the Vikings end up finishing second in the division this year. I, I think they'll end up going about 7-9. and nine. Now, with the Bears switching over to Nick Foles, I think that they really do have a chance to play decent going down the stretch. Uh, Nick Foles is a proven decent quarterback he's obviously not elite he's won a Super Bowl but again he won that Super Bowl being a backup quarterback to Carson Wentz and while I do like Nick Foles I don't like the rest of Chicago I think that Chicago's offense is very poor and I think their defense carries them but their defense can't keep that anemic offense in games so unless Nick Foles is absolutely fantastic at quarterback I think the Bears go 7-9, and 6-10, and 10 and finish pretty close to the Vikings. And I think that the NFC North will end up playing out just about how everybody expected it to. Uh, Kansas City will go back-to-back. -back. I don't think there's any doubt about that right now. Uh, Seattle's playing okay. Green Bay is playing very well. But I still just don't think anybody can stop the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. They're all playing so well. 
Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has filled that running back spot perfectly for Kansas City. And there is no reason to believe that those guys will not step up and deliver Kansas City another NFL title. Uh, So that'll do it for talking about the NFL for the day. Uh, I would like to move on to the NBA, talk some really interesting things about the NBA. Obviously, the finals going on last night. Uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis look like the entire team for the Lakers, but if LeBron and Anthony Davis is enough to beat a depleted Miami Heat team, I like the Lakers in five or maybe even four here, depending on if the Heat can get Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic back. If they can't get those guys back, it we're looking at a sweep, I think. I just don't think the Heat have enough playoff experience. I don't think they have the star power to take down a Lakers team that has proven superstars. And any team with LeBron James in the playoffs is a good team. Don't care what you say. It's a good team if it has LeBron James on it. I'm not saying he's the greatest of all time. I personally don't think there's really much of a debate between LeBron James and Michael Jordan, just based on the eras they played in, the positions they played, their body types. They played two completely different styles of basketball. And I really don't think that you can argue who was more skilled. I think there is an argument to be made in who was a better leader and their leadership styles. But anyways, back to the topic at hand. Um... I do think the Lakers will end up taking this series pretty easily. But that being said, Anthony Davis is a free agent at the end of the offseason, and I wanted to talk about some free agency scenarios with you guys. Um, I have six free agents here. The free agent market isn't necessarily great this year, but we'll start going down the list. Anthony Davis is your number one free agent this offseason. He is going to be the top-pursued guy. He does have a player option, and I do think that he'll exercise that player option and stay with the Lakers one more year, and after that, we'll see where things go. He may decide to leave and go make his own legacy away from LeBron, LeBron, excuse me, just like Kyrie Irving did. I think it'll go much better for Anthony Davis than it did for Kyrie Irving because I think Anthony Davis is a proven leader. He's a great teammate to have in the locker room. And um, we'll see how things go for Anthony Davis. I'm not sure where he'd end up after he exercises his playoff op- or player option, but we'll see where things go for him. The number two option in free agency, arguably, is Brandon Ingram. Now, Brandon Ingram had a phenomenal season this season. Uh, he won the NBA's Most Improved Player Award. And he's really rose onto a lot of people's radars, a lot of teams' radars this offseason. So that being said, I do think that it is a three-team race. It really depends on what these three teams are looking to do with their future, with their money, and at the small forward position. So the first of them, obviously, is New Orleans. I don't know if if they're interested in re-signing him. I feel like they should be as a most improved player, as a leader on your team, I think that Brandon Ingram is very, very, very valuable to the New Orleans Pelicans. And I do think that they will pursue him. But I do think that the New York Knicks will pursue him as well. Now, the New York Knicks have the second most cap space in the entire NBA 
behind only the Atlanta Hawks. They have $41.5 million in cap space to Atlanta's $43.2 million. And I think that's plenty of money for the Knicks to go after a small forward. But I don't know what their plan is at the position. They have Kevin Knox now, but if you ask me, Brandon Ingram is a surefire upgrade to Kevin Knox now and in the future. They also have R.J. Barrett. And you could push R.J. Barrett up to the shooting guard position and bring Brandon Ingram in as a small forward, power forward kind of guy. And that gives you Mitchell Robinson starting at center, Brandon Ingram at either small forward or power forward, R.J. Barrett at shooting guard or small forward, and then you really just need a backcourt. So it'll be interesting to see what the Knicks decide to do with their money. Next offseason is the big one. Giannis hits free agency next offseason. The Knicks have plenty of money to accommodate Giannis Antetokounmpo's salary that he will be getting in the offseason because he will be getting a max contract. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, The last option for Brandon Ingram is the Atlanta Hawks. And the Hawks is an interesting case because as a Hawks fan, I don't necessarily want to pursue Brandon Ingram. I would much rather wait until the offseason. I would rather save the money now and see what we can get next offseason because I feel like it would put us in a better position to win a title. I don't think we're ready to win a title this year. I think we're ready to be a playoff team this year, especially if we pursue a trade for somebody in the backcourt to go with Trey Young and really give Trey Young the opportunity to work off the ball. But I don't think Brandon Ingram is worth spending the money in Atlanta. So I really think that as of right now, Brandon Ingram will end up in New Orleans with the Pelicans again. But we'll see how the offseason goes for him. Uh, The third option is DeMar DeRozan. Currently with the Spurs, the Spurs are really aging out, I think. They're getting old. You've got DeMar DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge, two guys who have exited their prime, if you will. And... um, as a result, I think the Spurs are looking to move DeMar DeRozan or get rid of him, preferably, as well as LaMarcus Aldridge. I think both of those guys will be on the move, and they will be testing free agency. I don't think the Spurs will pursue them. So that being said, DeMar DeRozan needs to find a new team, and I think that that new team will be the Miami Heat. Small forward is small forward and shooting guard is one of the only positions on the court where Miami lacks depth if you ask me. They have Andre Iguodala and they have Jay Crowder. But DeMar DeRozan is surely an upgrade on either of those guys. He's better than Jay Crowder. Uh, He's younger than Andre Iguodala. And I think Andre Iguodala performs better as a sixth man. So I think DeMar DeRozan can step in and fill that gap at the three or four spot perfectly. I think he'll accommodate Jimmy Butler very well. I think that Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson will still get plenty of opportunities to sink threes from the point guard and shooting guard spot. I think that Bam Adebayo get grabbing rebounds, pushing the ball to Jimmy Butler, DeMar DeRozan, Tyler Hero, I think it'll suit Miami very well, and I think it'll put Miami right back into the NBA Finals conversation next season. Number four is Fred Van Vliet. I don't have much to say about him. I think he stays in Toronto. Uh, number five is Montrez Harrell, and I think Montrez Harrell is a very interesting case here. Uh, the Clippers just got rid of Doc Rivers. 
It's very interesting firing, but I think it was expected by most people after the Clippers failed to even make the NBA Finals. And as a result of that, I think Montrez Harrell sees that it's his time to leave in L.A. And I think he'll leave Kawhi and Paul George in Los Angeles to figure things out for themselves. I think he's decided that it is his time to earn a starting spot. I think he's tired of playing as a sixth man alongside Lou Williams. I think he's tired of Lou Williams taking his sixth man of the year votes. And I think he would perform pretty well as a starter. That being said, he's still pretty young. And I think Detroit could really use a front court. I think he'll go to the Pistons, who have $28.2 million in cap space, the third highest amount in the NBA behind Atlanta and New York. And I think he'll suit that gritty offense, gritty defense really well. Uh, Number six is Gordon Hayward, and he's still pretty young. He's, I believe, 28 years old. Uh, He's a little younger than DeMar DeRozan. I don't think the Celtics value him quite as much as they should, or as they used to, if you will. After his leg injury, this was horrific, that he suffered in the first game of 2018, he just hasn't looked the same. He's looked a lot better recently, especially in these playoffs. He's played a much bigger role for the Boston Celtics. But with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Daniel Tice and Kemba Walker, I just don't think he has a spot in Boston anymore. I think that he hits the market, and I say he ends up in San Antonio. I think he'll make a great mentor to some of the guys down there. I think a new environment will really refresh him. I think he could revitalize his career in San Antonio with Greg Popovich and Tim Duncan coaching him up. So those are my six free agents that I really wanted to talk about. But there are also some trade scenarios that I wanted to talk to you about. I mentioned a few last time, and I know I mentioned this first one, being the Hawks trading for Drew Holiday. And I think it's a very, very possible situation. I don't think you even have to give up too much. I say that if the Hawks give up their first round pick this year, which is number six, and either Kevin Herter or DeAndre Hunter, I think you can bring in Drew Holiday. There's plenty of cap space, obviously. We have the most in the entire league to accommodate Drew Holiday's salary. And I do think it would be extremely beneficial to the Hawks. It would give Trey Young plenty of opportunities to make space for himself in the backcourt. I really like the possibility of Atlanta bringing in Drew Holiday. Uh, The second trade scenario I did not mention last week, I think that the Cavaliers could really use another piece in their backcourt. They do have two young guys in Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. And that being said, I don't think either of them are going to pan out to be the players that Cleveland wants them to be. They need some scoring. Colin Sexton is developing as a scorer, but Darius Garland has never really been a great scorer. He was injured in college, never really got to see much of him. I'm not sure why Cleveland took him with the fourth overall pick, but that being said, I think that they could use another guy in the backcourt. And I don't think you have to give either of them up because you have an aging Kevin Love with an expiring contract. You have an aging... Uh, Andre Drummond with an expiring contract who you could both move and I think those are great assets to move I think Cleveland can give up their 2020 first round pick and Kevin Love 
for Buddy Heald. Now, Buddy Heald, he's been an okay, an average NBA player since he came into the league, but he's been a spot-up shooter. He's been lights out, but he's flown so far under the radar in such a small market like Sacramento that nobody hears about him. I think he'd fit really well into Cleveland's offense. I think that allowing him to have the ball more and dishing it to Buddy Heald will give Colin Sexton and Darius Garland the opportunity to show that they are more than just point guards and shooting guards, that Darius Garland can be an integral piece of Cleveland's offense, and Colin Sexton can be an integral piece of the team in Cleveland. I just think that adding a shooter to that roster would suit them very well, and I think that shooter should be Buddy Heald. My third trade scenario involves the Philadelphia 76ers and the Detroit Pistons of all teams. Um, Tobias Harris has not really panned out to be what the 76ers wanted him to. Neither has Al Horford, but I don't think you have the room to give up both of those guys. I think you trade one of them and let the other one walk in free agency. I think it's just the way that Philadelphia should go. I think it's the way it will go. And with the addition of Doc Rivers to the roster at head coach, there are a couple of scenarios that I like. I think Doc Rivers excels in an offense where you have a point guard that can dish the ball and a big man who can throw it down, just like the Lob City days. And I think that Blake Griffin is the perfect addition to Philadelphia's roster. And in Detroit, I know they're looking to rebuild. Blake Griffin's getting up there in age, but he's still not that old. He's been putting up some pretty good numbers there in Detroit. So I think by giving up Tobias Harris and Furkan Korkmaz, who's been a reliable scorer in Philadelphia, a pretty good three-point shooter, which Detroit doesn't have many of, I think you can get Blake Griffin and a first-round pick. I think you're giving up a lot of production if you're Philadelphia and giving up Tobias Harris and Furkan Korkmaz. I don't take any less than Blake Griffin in a first-round pick if I'm Doc Rivers, Elton Brand, and the Philadelphia 76ers, but it would make a great addition to that roster. Now, my number four trade involves Portland and Cleveland. I mentioned Andre Drummond earlier when I was talking about Cleveland and Sacramento possibilities, but here I'm talking about something a little different. I'm talking about Cleveland potentially getting a big man down low to replace Kevin Love and Andre Drummond and really get a little bit younger at the position. Portland has Hassan Whiteside, Yusuf Nurkic, and Zach Collins, all three of whom are very reliable, very proven big men, with the exception of Zach Collins. He's been okay since he entered the NBA. Not my favorite player. I think Portland could do better than Zach Collins. And that being said, I don't think they can trade him to Cleveland because Cleveland doesn't really have a place for him outside of the bench. So I say that if Portland trades Hassan Whiteside and Nas Little and a first-round pick, they can get Andre Drummond. They need a rebounder. They need a scorer down low. And I think putting Andre Drummond beside Yusuf Nurkic, another seven-footer, will benefit them very, very well. With, I think it'll help them on the offensive boards, on the defensive boards, which they need help on both of. 
and I think it'll really open the court up for C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. Putting a big offensive presence down low like Andre Drummond, like Yusuf Nurkic, will obviously open up the three-point line for C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. It'll give Portland a much better offense. If they can make a trade for a big man, I say Portland ends up in the top four next season in the West. Now, my fifth trade option involves Milwaukee and the Washington Wizards, and I think everybody knows where I'm going here. I'll just go straight for it. I think Milwaukee should trade for Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal, is an, it's, he's a proven scorer. He was arguably the most underrated player in the NBA the entire year. He was without a doubt the most overlooked player in the entire NBA this season. He averaged over 30 points. He finished second in the league behind James Harden. And I think that Milwaukee will have to give up quite a bit for him. But at the same time, I don't because Washington has entered rebuild mode. I think that they'll get rid of Bradley Beal because Bradley Beal, as good of a player as he is, should be tired of losing in Washington. And I think he is. He's ready for a different scene. He's ready to be on a winning roster that makes the playoffs consistently. And Milwaukee will be that for the next five to 10 years. The addition of Bradley Beal to a lineup with Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Robin and Brooke Lopez, will be extraordinary for Milwaukee. So the trade scenario looks something like this. You give up Eric Bledsoe, Kyle Korver, and two first-round picks for Bradley Beal. Milwaukee's not looking to draft anybody right now. They're in prime position to win a title for the next few years. So trading away those two first-round picks doesn't mean much to you, but it'll mean a lot more to them, them being the Washington Wizards. Because the Washington Wizards are in rebuild mode. They need the picks. They want the picks. So I really do think that Milwaukee can make a trade for Bradley Beal. I think Bradley Beal would fit pretty well into a Mike Budenholzer offense. So those are my five trade scenarios in the NBA. I think each one of them is possible if they're willing to do it, if they're willing to accommodate the trades. Uh, I'd like to move into a little bit of college football before we wrap things up. Just talk about some matchups this week. Not much to talk about in college football. It's a pretty boring week on the slate. Um, SEC looks very, very boring outside of the Auburn-Georgia matchup, which I am going to talk about here in just a second. Uh, I'll just run through the list, take, make my picks for the week. Uh, I like LSU to beat Vanderbilt. I like Tennessee to beat Missouri. I like Florida to beat South Carolina. I like Texas to beat TCU. I obviously like Clemson to take down Virginia in the ACC. I like Oklahoma State over Kansas. Kansas has not looked very good under Les Miles so far. I think he needs a couple more years to recruit some real talent. Uh, Alabama will beat the brakes off of Texas A&M. Texas A&M is pretending again. I don't know why everybody's so high on them every year. Um, Oklahoma and Iowa State, both of these teams have been upset unfortunately, very early in the year. And I think Iowa State's going to take down Oklahoma again. I think Spencer Rattler is not what the three quarterbacks before him have been. I don't think he's what Jalen Hurts was. I don't think he's what Baker Mayfield was. And I certainly don't think he's what Kyler Murray was. I really like Iowa State to take down Spencer Rattler and Oklahoma's weak offensive line. But the matchup of the week, without a doubt, is Auburn and Georgia. This is going to be a defensive slugfest. 
Auburn lost a lot on defense. UGA retained a lot on defense. Whereas, it's the opposite. UGA lost a lot on offense. Auburn retained a lot on offense. And I, I, Bo Nix looks like a good quarterback. He looks like a great college quarterback. He looks like he has a lot of NFL potential so far. Whereas UGA does not have an answer at quarterback right now. JT Daniels seems to be healthy for Saturday's matchup. I still don't think he's the answer, especially if Auburn gets pressure off the edge like Arkansas did last week. Um, I like Auburn to upset UGA here. I think UGA goes down in week two, but that's it's better than going down in week seven, right? Like every UGA fan is used to. I think... Auburn wins this week, and I think it gives UGA enough time to recover, make an SEC championship run, potentially take down Alabama in an SEC championship game, and still have a shot at the college football playoff. I think right now there are three teams who are solidified, locked into the college football playoff, those teams being Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. The third one is up in the air or the fourth one, rather. I think it'll come from the SEC, and I think it'll be the top team in the SEC East, whether it be Georgia or Florida. But we'll see where things go in the college football world because there's really a lot up in the air. There's not a lot of constants in college football right now with the coronavirus and all of the other scenarios. It's just very, very odd in the world of sports in general, but especially college football right now. So that'll wrap it up for this week's podcast. If you enjoyed, let me know. I really appreciate any feedback that you guys are willing to give me. I really want to make this thing take off. Uh, Obviously, as you can tell, these are very humble beginnings for me and for everybody else that will be involved in this podcast in the future. Uh, CJ will hopefully be back next week. Ashen will hopefully be back next week. And I hope to have a lot more people on. There, there are big things coming, and I really hope that this thing can take off soon. Uh, so thank you guys for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.